0: iOS 17.2 is finally here. We've talked about it like every week for the past probably like a month and a half at this point. Yeah, but they dragged it out a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. And, it, and there's a lot of cool things here, though. There's the journal app. There's the new Apple Music favorites playlist. Something neat that I think's kind of gone under the radar is the Apple Music listening history feature, where if you have a certain focus mode enabled, you can tell Apple Music to not use what you're listening to. impact recommendations or your apple music replay so that's kind of cool yeah but we i think we spoke about this on the show right like
1: that's a great feature but i wish they would separate it from focus mode like that is true it just needs a private toggle basically yeah. i mean there's you can go and you can dive into settings and turn it on and off whenever you want but you just want that toggle like more conveniently available either in like inside apple music itself or maybe you could do a sh- like put it as a shortcut action and then make let people make a shortcut out of it the focus mode thing is like so bizarre i guess what they're going for is like you could have like a you know like a party focus mode and when it's in that mode it, you know anyone could do music suggestions and ignore listening history yeah or like driving or like sleep or whatever because i guess people don't want their sleep playlist necessarily in- interfering with their day-to-day recommendations mm-hmm. uh, but I think a lot of people just want like the quote unquote guess mode scenario where you just hand your phone to somebody else and you don't really want like a separate focus mode just for that. So yeah, it's a good idea to like let to have it in focus mode. I'm sure people, some people use it. But the way I want that feature to exist is in a slightly different form, which is probably
0: why it's going more under the radar. A couple of camera things for iPhone 15 Pro. There's the improved focusing speed for the telephoto camera, which we talked about last week, and I still don't really know what that means. There's spatial video recording. The Messages app has stickers for tapbacks now and the new catch-up arrow. Kind of tapback stickers, not really. But yeah, you're very upset about that one. You, but. It's got a menu where you can add a sticker. <laughs> that's a better description of the feature. You can change the default notification sound finally. Yeah, that's and a big
1: thing. The, the funny thing about the default notification sound is this is a, a setting that probably should have existed since they brought push notifications to the iPhone back with iOS 4. Yeah. And it's only happened now because they messed up the sound in iOS 17.0, yeah. right? Like, I've, if they if they hadn't changed the default sound in 17.0, I don't think we'd have had this feature come in 17.2. This is just their response to people. Some people not liking the new rebound sound. Uh, so, and if they
0: hadn't waited till 17.0 to change the sound, like, they didn't change it during the beta. They changed it when 17.0 came out. Yeah, yeah. So they didn't have any feedback. So they changed it everybody hated it we waited point 1 and now we're on point 2 and we finally have a way to change it
1: yeah so in the most backhanded way possible we have a feature <laughs> that
0: probably should have been there for the last 15 years but it is now there so you, what do you think about the journal app it's 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 very basic in its current form uh, that
1: is the problem with it right i think the yeah like you know the the general um, mantra is like apple makes the basic app for the 80% people and then the app store fulfills in the remaining 20% for people that want to dive deeper and, and do more complicated things and are actually fully invested in whatever the function is, right? So I don't feel that like the Journal app reaches the 80% bar, though, in its current state. Yeah. It is kind of like they've obviously done it because they get, you know, they can enhance it with the integration with the system. So you get recommendations for, like the podcast you listen to and the music on a day by day basis, your like significant locations um with like in the background location tracking and like people you speak to and you know all that kind of stuff so that's where the motivations come from but th- that's kind of where the like effort of the 1.0 kind of ends it's basically like the posting yeah. experience is all right you know you get you get your text box you can type you can attach these memories or these moments and then you can make your own you can just do a standalone entry if you want to it doesn't have to be um connected to the suggestions but the problem i have with it is like after you po after you compose the entry, it's the reviewing that the journal app currently lacks almost entirely. Like you just get one scrolling list of your entries, and like no filtering, no like calendar view, no like summaries of your month gone by or anything like that. It's so bare bones at that level that it's never going to be a substitute for a- an actual journal unless you're somebody who like journals for the moment and never actually reflects on it. Right, which I yeah. guess is meant to be the point of it, but. So Sometimes. It's, it's so basic that it doesn't even fulfill the 80-20 design
0: ideal as it stands. The journal, the journal suggestions API thing is also available to third parties. So I saw that day one, the journaling app has already integrated it. So that's probably like, that's like the, for the power user, day one is probably the way to go if you want to get into journaling. Because the biggest thing too about Apple's journal app is that it's only on iPhone. Like you're committed to writing those entries just on your iPhone, like you can't type it out on your Mac or your iPad. I mean, you could like write it in the notes app on your Mac and then go to your iPhone, copy and paste it into the journal app. But yeah, for most people, I've, I, yeah, I don't think journal even crosses that first threshold to be super useful. It is so basic in its current form that
1: it feels like they've kind of done it too early. And, you know, there's been a lot of rumours about Apple working on this kind of mental health service thing, which I presume yeah. the Journal app will uh, be, uh, be a part of that story. But the mental health service isn't here, so I don't really see why they had to rush out Journal in iOS, 7, iOS 17 itself. Uh, they gave it another year of development and feature increases. It could probably be in a much more respectable state. Like when they did Freeform, the, the one point Freeform was pretty solid and fulfilled the objective of you know yeah open canvas design app and then they followed up on it with some more and more improvements over time uh the journal app 1.0 is just not quite up to scratch i don't think uh so hopefully they keep working on it and they'll be you know they can build it out and flesh it out and add mac and ipad versions too uh but as it stands i i wouldn't have much i mean i don't i probably wouldn't use it even if it was great because i don't use day one right but uh for that like let's say somebody came up to me and was like i want to do like journaling or whatever i'd say either use the apple notes app which has many advantages in terms of the complexity and that you know you can do drawings and graphs and tables mm-hmm. and stuff um and you can do search and it syncs across all your devices or you'd get a dedicated app like day one um like the notes is free and built in right day one you you know it's paid paid tiers and stuff yeah. so that's that's the next step uh, but the journal app the official apple journal app doesn't quite even deserve the spot on the home screen that it now gets by default when you upgrade 17.2, which is a shame. But hopefully, you know, iOS 18 rolls around and they've given it another year of development. But right now, it doesn't really cut the mustard.
0: WatchOS 10.2 includes something that you're very excited about, Mayo. Yeah. You can now swipe between watch faces again. Yeah, again
1: being the operative word because they took yep. it out with WatchOS 10. <laughs> for Seemingly no reason, because like none of the yeah. system gestures uh, collide with swiping left or right. Because the you know the, to get to the smart stack, you swipe up from the bottom to get to the uh, the notification center. You swipe from the top left and right is still unused. From what I've kind of discerned, the reason they took it out was that people were doing it accidentally. So people that didn't want to change yeah, watch so. face were just walking around their daily lives and then they'd be confused when they looked at their watch and they'd accidentally done something that made it seem like they've swiped and then they were looking at a completely different clock face and they were very disorientated and confused. Um, So that's why it was taken out but clearly, a lot of people actually do use it for its intended purpose, and I do it. All I have two watch faces, right? One which is like my mm-hmm. daytime face, which has like you know activity rings and weather and stuff, and then I have like an evening face or like a more casual one, which is just like a nice analog face with the time on it. So I have like a modular face and analog face, and then when I you know in that different mood, I just swipe left and right to switch between them. And the extra friction having to long press and you know scroll was kind of annoying. So I'm very happy they brought it back to 10.2. Um but it kind of backs up the theory that people do accidentally because it's an opt-in setting rather than just being back. So it's off by default, and if you want to, you've got to dive in there and turn it on. But if you do turn it on, it behaves just as it has done for the last, you know,
0: ever since it was introduced with like WatchOS two. So I've been using that since that setting came back, so I'm very happy about that. And it's in the settings app on your Apple Watch, and for some reason, you have to scroll all the way down and choose the clock menu, and then there's the toggle for swipe to switch face. It's buried, but I don't care. It's buried, yeah, you're, but you just
1: turn it on once, and then you, then you, then you're
0: golden. A couple of things in TVOS ten point or what are we on TVOS seventeen point two? You can now accept a FaceTime call. See, I didn't know about this until I heard you talking about it earlier this week. So I only and found it out seems... about this um,
1: when it popped up on the app on the on the release candidate for TVOS seventeen point two. You know, they've that like what's new screen. Oh, but yeah. Mm-hmm. On that feature, on that grid of features, one of them was you could now accept FaceTime calls directly from Apple TV. I was like, wow, that's really interesting. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize it until, it until it was literally written there, which is their alternative for release notes because you don't have like the, the what's new section in Apple TV yeah. settings. Um, but yeah, I mean, they obviously with 17, they added the FaceTime app because you could do continuity camera via the iPhone. But the way it'd work on there is like, you could um, start a call, or if you had a call on your phone, you could transfer it to the to the TV, right? Um, but with seventeen point two, your TV can ring, and you can answer straight from there, and then you put the phone into position. So it's it's that last step which makes it a bit awkward because like it'd be better if there was like a permanent camera hardware connected to the TV, yeah, either an Apple accessory, or you could plug in like USB cameras, like you can do with the iPad, right? On iPad OS seventeen. Um, So I hope there's more to come in that direction because what like some people suggested, well, you could just put an old iPhone on on the camera mount directly on the TV all the time. It's not very elegant. It looks stupid having (laughs) this thing just like poking up there. What I kind of want is like a small bar that's like thin enough that it could basically be out of sight, but it's still there on the TV cabinet. Um, And you just put like an ultra wide camera inside of that and it works either wirelessly or with a, you know, directly connected to the Apple TV in some way. Um, obviously we've also heard those rumors about this like all in one soundbar camera speaker system mm-hmm. thing that might be coming eventually and this will obviously play into that too. But as it stands today, you've got the face maple Apple TV, but it'd be way more useful if they did have some way of connecting cameras or physical cameras, not just like the iPhone hacky solution. Even though it does work well, the iPhone solution is just not you just don't want to work, you know, you don't you don't want to live your life that way where you have to dock the iPhone every single time.
0: It's like a Nintendo Wii. You need something that just sits on top of your TV that's, like, hidden a little bit. Like, remember the bar camera sensor thing for the Nintendo Wii? Mm. That's what we need. That's not a gigantic iPhone, just, like, a little hidden thing.
1: Yeah, like a little sensor bar that could do
0: camera and it could do um, face ID recognition.
1: That would be sweet. Because there's the other thing where, like, multiple use on Apple TV never get used because it's such a pain to have to, like, long press and then switch account. What you if either the iPhone this is what been a request of mine for a while either the remote should get like Touch ID so it can just automatically switch users depending on who's using the remote or if you had a camera system you could do you know face recognition style uh login but that's that's definitely wish list items <laughs> that's not rumored anywhere, but uh, it would be nice.
0: So iOS seventeen point two available now. The next day iOS seventeen point three beta one. So this. My favorite feature in 17.2 was collaborative playlists. They pulled that from 17.2, but it's back in the first beta of 17.3. And it includes a weird little twist to where you can react to songs that are in a shared collaborative playlist using emoji. Mayo, we were talking about this, and it's like a really random feature. Like, it's random that it's there, but it works really well. Yeah, and it makes me more mad about the messages situation because it literally is... Yeah
1: emoji reactions with a, with a little bar that could literally be a tap-back bar. Uh, yeah, and it's kind of weird that, like... I mean, we, we thought the collaborative playlist had been removed from 17.2 because of those, like, abuse cases we spoke about before, but yeah. now it's back in 17.3 with emojis, so, like, <laughs> I guess they were always... Pl- like, it'd, be, it'd be weird for them to launch in 0.2 and then add emojis second, you know, in a follow-up, so I guess it's just always been on this track. But, yeah, I guess it makes sense. Like, you have a little collaborative playlist, you add music to it. If other people add songs then the person can listen and if they like it, they can do like thumbs up or, you know, smile face emoji. And it just kind of sits there. You see it in the now playing screen itself and also in the track listings. It just like annotates the the row with an emoji badge. So uh,
0: it's a bit random. Yeah, but it's cool. The big thing in 17.3, though, is something Apple calls stolen device protection. So Apple describes this as an additional layer of security in the unlikely case in the unlikely case that someone has stolen your phone and also obtained your passcode. So this comes after, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, who did a few stories on the problem of kind of people in bars or restaurants, shoulder surfing people, watching them enter their iPhone passcodes, and then stealing that iPhone later on. So then they'd have the phone and earlier they'd watch them enter the passcode so they could get into the phone. And if you have the passcode for an iPhone, you can do anything. You can get into banking apps. You can reset the Apple ID password. Anything you can do with Face ID or Touch ID, you can do also with the passcode.
1: Yeah. And most people that were using this in the theft case were not stealing the person's identity by like changing the password and then taking over their Apple ID like, mm-hmm. I mean, that was a risk, but I, most people were just the, the criminals were stealing the phone, using the passcode to uh, to reset the Apple ID and turn off Find My, basically. So yeah. the device was on its own and then could be resold. Um, and a, an iPhone that's sold without activation lock and Find My is way more valuable than the one that can only be stripped down for parts. So that was the like the criminal motivation was they would steal the passcodes so and they could re, they could get into the Apple ID through the passcode mechani- reset mechanism in settings, and then you know turn everything off but it would have as well as it would have double double um, damage on the person that has had their phone stolen because a they can't track the phone anymore right um but b the process of making the phone untrackable would also lock them out of their apple id and also iCloud and all their photos access you know like so it had like secondary consequences that the criminals didn't even care about it was just like you know side effect um so kind of stung in two ways. You lost your phone and you possibly lost access to your Apple ID altogether, which is a whole can of worms on its own, on its own right. Um, so this stolen device protection thing is the attempt to counter that problem.
0: So stolen device protection works by there are certain things. It's basically a two-tiered system. And there are certain things that require Face ID or Touch ID thentica- authentication when it's turned on. So, the list of these things is viewing or using passwords or pass keys, applying for a new Apple Card, viewing an Apple Card virtual card number, turning off lost mode, erasing all content and settings, certain things for Apple Cash and savings, using payment methods in Safari, and using your iPhone to set up a new device. So, for those things, you have to authenticate with Face ID or Touch ID. You can't do the thing that you can do now, whereas you fall back to using your passcode instead of face id or touch id so basically biometrics required yeah. biometrics required yeah. rather than
1: optional because in the current way for instance with safari autofill it shows you face id as the default prompt right to authenticate mm-hmm. and that's more of a convenience than having to actually type in your passcode if you cancel the face id prompt it will eventually ask you to enter the passcode instead so by turning on stone device protection it basically removes that option to enter the passcode and forces
0: biometrics then there's a second tier of things that require biometric authentication and have a one hour security delay. And those things are changing your Apple ID password, updating select Apple ID account security settings, changing your iPhone passcode, adding or removing Face ID or Touch ID, turning off Find My, or turning off stolen device protection. So those things you have to authenticate with Face ID or Touch ID, then you have to wait an hour to actually do what you want to do.
1: Yeah, and after an hour, it then also prompts another Face ID or Touch ID right. uh, scan. And then only then can you you know change your password or reset or whatever. So that's that's the tier that's addressing the Wall Street Journal's shoulder-surfing scenario, mm-hmm. where someone steals yeah. your phone, they know your six-digit passcode because they've just spied it over your shoulder, but unless they, I guess, hold you down and force you to you know <laughs> um, kidnap you for an hour... They they're not actually be able to turn off Find My or or change your Apple ID password or anything uh, because of the hour timeout. The exception is the delay is not enforced if the iPhone detects you're in a familiar location like at home or work using like the significant locations feature. Um, so if you're so the idea is if you're in if you're in your house and you want to change your Apple ID password, you aren't inconvenienced by having to wait an extra hour every single time. It it just knows you're at home, so it just lets you in as before. Which, Which seems. Is, Y- 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 okay, useful, but, but the work... Uh, I guess at home's fine. The work scenario is less. Because, like, you could get your phone stolen on the doorstep of c- going into your office, you know?
0: Yeah. Yep. And in that situation, you're going to be screwed as always. Uh, so... I guess, I mean, the thing is, any way in which they would have implemented this, you could have pointed at like, holes in the process. Like, yeah. Sure, you can exclude home. Your home gets broken into. Somebody can stay in there and take, your, take all your stuff off your phone before they leave. Also true. Yeah. But it's like... Security versus convenience—they had to. You have to draw the line somewhere.
1: I, I also think there's a um, consideration about like biometrics are secure, but they're not infallible because you can get injured, right? Like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. if you have if you're using Touch ID and then you chop your finger off, as to take an extreme case, you can't touch ID biometrics anymore. So the being at home is a get out clause for that, or you could use an alternative device that doesn't have certain device protection turned on, for instance. Um, and similarly with Face ID, you know. Your face changes over time. There's a chance that at one point you'll wake up one day and your iPhone won't recognize you anymore. So they can't require biometrics full stop because you just get yeah. locked out. Like the only thing that's
0: 100% reliable is passcode
1: entry that you can remember. Um,
0: we also so got an email too about if your face ID or touch ID like module in your device fails. Breaks, yep. You need to have the passcode fallback. So that's another reason in support of these home and work exclusions. And what we just talked about where
1: like, you know, these these edge cases and exceptions of stuff breaking or your personal, you know, your personal features changing is, I think, probably the reason why this is not going to be enabled by default. At least in 17.3, it's not on by default, but they will prompt you like when you upgrade it will say and now there's this new stone device protection feature. We think you should turn it on and there's a big blue button to turn it on, but it's not just turned on uh, de facto. So do you think the average
0: person should turn this on? Probably yes. I don't really see any downside. Yeah, those edge cases we just said are real, but they're
1: rare. And if you've got the home exclusion, then you're probably pretty in the clear there. This is way more relevant to average people than the advanced data protection end-to-end encryption thing for iCloud right? that they rolled out a year ago or so. That thing, I still don't really advise people to turn it on because I think way too many people just forget passwords and stuff for it to be dangerous and i think more people care about being able to keep their family memories and photos alive than potentially someone being able to get in and hack the server or whatever you know like that the the risk cases i think for whether you're impacted by having full end-to-end encryption on your account are way less common than the chance of your phone getting stolen in your hand you know so mm-hmm. stone device protection I guess if you're cautious, you might want to leave it a couple of months just in case there's something that pro- crops up that we can't think about right now. Yeah. But at least in theory, it seems like something that should eventually be on by default and f- actually help people day to day. So yeah, I, 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 as it stands right now, I'll be happy to turn this on. Uh, I don't think there's a downside that is meaningful.
0: I turned it on whenever this beta came out, so Tuesday, I guess. And I haven't run into anything where I think it's been impacted yet, but yeah. I, I turned it on. I was like,
1: oh, let's try this out. And then I did something <laughs> that would require a delay. And then because I'm at home, it did, nothing happened.
0: I was like, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Yep. So I guess I, I, I turned it off, but I guess I'll try it again when I'm out and about. And that's uh, 17.3, which is not actually available for public beta testers yet, but probably maybe by the time this episode comes out. And if not sometime next week. Yeah. And 17.3 isn't going to come out to what, like January, February time. For yeah, I think public release last year for sixteen point three was like the very tail end of January. Yeah, so there'll probably be a few more features, but obviously, stone device protection is the big thing for point
1: three. And speaking of security, this week's episode is sponsored by One Password, the hassle-free password manager. The holiday shopping season is in full swing, and for all the fun that it brings, it also marks the time of the year when scammers and cybercriminals are aiming to exploit the heightened shopping activity. This year, stay safe with some essential tips brought to you by 1Password. Simplify online shopping risks by using 1Password Password Manager, safely store payment information, autofill securely with one click, and maintain a unique password for every site. And their integrated Watchtower service automatically identifies and updates weak passwords. And you can help ensure your family's security and safety with 1Password for families. You can share passwords among your family members securely in a shared vault for so things like passwords for streaming services or wi-fi routers and if you're traveling you can keep crucial information in your vault and activate travel mode for additional security on the go. 1Password also takes the hassle out of two-factor authentication, another measure to boost account security. It makes managing all of your one-time passwords an absolute breeze. And right now, 95 Mac readers can save 40% on a yearly subscription with a One Password individual account. See in the show notes for details and the link you need to save 40% on your membership. That's 40% off a yearly subscription to One Password individual. Thanks again to One Password for sponsoring the show.
0: And speaking of security, Apple has blocked Beeper. So this is the iMessage on Android solution that we talked about last week. I think it was late Friday evening beeper users started noticing that their messages weren't sending and they couldn't log in at the time it was kind of assumed that it was Apple doing something then 24 hours later on Saturday night Apple issued a statement saying that they took steps to protect users by blocking techniques that exploit fake credentials in order to gain access to iMessage so they didn't mention beeper by name but pretty obvious what that was in reference to Apple said that it will continue to make updates in the future to protect its users. So that was Saturday. Then I think on Monday or Tuesday, Beeper started working again, but with a few limitations, like you can't use the phone number on your Android phone. You can only sign in with an Apple ID. Then it looks like this is Wednesday. This week, Apple started blocking Beeper again. So this is like going to be a long-running, very stupid cat-and-mouse game. Yep. My guess is the eventual outcome here is Apple's just going to like sue them or threaten to <laughs> sue them, and that'll be it. Yeah, they'll
1: will be able to lock it down eventually. It will take a while. Like if they want to go thermonuclear, they can just cut off all devices like we spoke about on the previous episode. You know, older mm-hmm. than five years that appear to be you know old phones, but but they don't want to do that because they don't want to impact genuine customers. So they just have to keep making it annoying enough that people eventually stop using the service. When this happened. Uh there was a lot of like um like territory staking on like Twitter and threads and stuff. It's like I'm so disappointed that the Apple community is relishing in the fact that Apple's being able to stomp on the beeper. It's like it's not quite it's not quite an accurate representation. Like I, I think it's great. And I mean, last week I was You know, all for it. I was like, "Yeah, well, for as long as it's working, go out there and use Beeper. If you have an Android phone, you want to use iMessage. Beeper Mini seems perfectly good. It's you know, end to end encrypted. It's all secure. There's no there's no issues there. It's really cool that this like 16 year old has been able to reverse reverse engineer the protocol and make it work. And you know, for as long as it's working, go out and do it. But I was under no illusion that this is entirely Apple's intellectual property. That they will have rights over and they can control and they can respond in, in and they can crack down in just the same way that beeper tried to open it up so it's not a like a oh you're just all you know you're just fanning fanboying for the big trillion dollar company and like you know <laughs> screw whatever this like small startups doing it's like that's not the that's not the truth right The the legal the legal rights here are very clearly in apple's court They have made a product that somebody reverse engineered and so far they haven't, you know, I think they've gone, like, because you could just straight sue them, right? And Apple would 100% win with their lawyers on side. Uh, But that is a bit more mean for, I would say. Uh, So at least they're going for a technical route and Beeper can just as easily give up. I mean, now they're trying to, you know, before, before this week, Beeper was like, I'd say their PR was pretty open. They were like, yeah, we're, we're doing this. It's cool. You know, go, go, go for it. We're just making a better chat for the world. Now they're going a bit more like, oh, this is, you know, infringing on people's human rights and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like encrypted messaging should be available to everybody. And, you know, Apple's like fighting against it and stuff. So I'm I'm, I'm souring a bit on their, uh, you know, positioning on this. But hey, yeah. that's what their company's got to do anyway. Uh, look, at the end of the day, people wanted to make money. So does Apple. The, the the product app Beeper was trying to make money over is Apple's intellectual property that they are allowed to crack down in any way they want, and they are doing so. And as well as it being, you know, an annoying business uh, in terms of Beeper, they also have legitimate claims like potential for metadata exposure and enabling unwanted messages, spam, and phishing attacks on the iMessage platform. So there's legit reasons for them to want to. Uh, close these loopholes as well as just being annoying to a small company so i think people that are out there like trying to hold a like a religious argument against this are a bit short-sighted uh, and ultimately ap- you know the the fire under the belly here is kind of neutralized when they do roll out rcs right because then right. The, the fact that you can communicate with an android user with the same video quality and image attachments and everything uh those arguments kind of fall away and right now, they've only committed to supporting RCS as is, which isn't encrypted, right? Or, or, you know, it's not end-to-end encrypted. But they did say in that statement that they're working with the standards body to make these this uh, the, the the standard more secure over time. So I think eventually, you know, not probably maybe not next year, but in, you know, in the foreseeable future, there will be an RCS standard that is as much higher um, security and encryption standards as well, and Apple will support that eventually too. So it's really hard to for me to be too critical about the situation when they're literally protecting their own intellectual property and they've already said that they're going to support an open standard. Like if they were still on the side of, you know, only doing iMessage and SMS, it would yeah. be less, you know, it'd be, a, it'd be a harder position to defend.
0: But they're kind of doing everything they should. And here we are. Last night, I got a text from my aunt who was looking for some, some tech support. She was trying to send a picture of her new dogs to the people she adopted the dogs from. And she was like, "This the image won't send. Like, what am I doing wrong? So she's an iPhone user. So I said, okay, are the people you're trying to text, are they iPhone users? And she said, how would I know? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, okay, are the bubbles green or blue? And she said, they're green. I said, okay, so that means they're not using an iPhone. They're using probably an Android phone. And I said, do you have like good cell signal like can you try to send this picture to somebody else? And of course she sent it to me and I'm an iPhone user. So I was like, yes, I got it. But trying to tr- troubleshoot where the problem in this process is. And eventually she got frustrated and I got a little bit frustrated. And I was like, you know, you could just try emailing it to them. Like text messaging. You never really know. I tried to explain. iMessages messages are sent differently. Blue bubbles, green bubbles. Her ultimate solution was she posted it on Facebook for everybody to see and told the person to go look on Facebook and I was like, man, this is like the first instance where RCS would have meant I would not have to deal with this and have to help with this type of text support. So I am eagerly awaiting RCS. For AirPods this week, this was surprising. Standalone USB-C case for AirPods Pro 2. Completely random, but nice, I guess.
1: I mean, why didn't they do this at the beginning?
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't. So the, at the beginning, you could get AirPods Pro 2 with USB-C, but you had to buy the whole set. You had to buy new AirPods and a new case. You couldn't buy the case separately, but now you can buy the case separately. $99, though. I had thought maybe about $69, $79 would be a reasonable price, not 99 Well, $69,
1: 79 is what they charge for the non-Pro case. Right, because, yeah, that's clearly that's justified then <laughs> clearly it's, it's the pro version and it's got a u1 chip inside it so that you know that you, you, you yank the price up but just in case you weren't clear if you buy the case alone your airpods themselves do not uh,
0: get ip54 dust resistance nor do the airpods get lossless audio which is one of the other differences with the second version of the second generation of airpods pro the $99 price point really sucks, too, when you like go on Amazon and you see you can get AirPods Pro 2, the entire thing, for 199 So if you're somebody like me who's probably going to buy Vision Pro next, early next year and want the lossless audio support with AirPods and Vision Pro, I might as well just spend the $200 and buy the version on Amazon. I guess that Apple's happy either way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are. <laughs> And I guess by
1: not announcing the separate case when they did this in like July, they got a fair few people to buy the full models when they would have just bought a case. So business wise, yeah. it worked out for them.
0: But yeah, now you don't use AirPods Pro, do you? No, nah, you standard AirPods. And you still don't have any way to get a USB C case. I'm pretty go-
1: sure I bought the AirPods. Sick! I bought the AirPods wireless charging case because remember they didn't they didn't have wireless charging originally, right? So I bought the original AirPods and then eighteen months later I paid about eighty dollars for the wireless charging case. So I was the sucker with that generation, (laughs) Uh, which is the exact direct colory to now with the USB C case. Uh, I'm holding out. Yeah, I'm not changing my AirPods. I'm waiting for the next
0: generation, then I buy those. So regardless of how much money you want to give Apple right now for USB C, you cannot.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they don't have a USB-C case for the exactly. non-Pro AirPods. Yeah, which is kind of stupid because like it's just a case, and they did it before with the wireless charging case. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> we're gonna have to wait months for at least even the option to do so. It's kind of kind of dumb, but that's how it is.
0: Bloomberg reports that Tang Tan, who is currently the VP of Product Design at Apple, is leaving the company in February. So Bloomberg describes him as a chief iPhone and Apple Watch designer who currently reports to John Ternus, mainly focused, again, on Apple Watch and iPhone, but also apparently worked quite a bit on AirPods. It's tough to get a read on how big of a departure this is for Apple. The Bloomberg report quoted some people who said that it's a blow to the design team and said that he made critical decisions about the iPhone and the Apple Watch In his place, it sounds like Apple is going to move up some of his subordinates. So Richard Din, who currently reports to Tan and leads iPhone product design, will get an expanded role and begin reporting directly to Turnus himself. Kate Bergeron, who is a hardware engineering exec currently leading the Mac, will take over Apple Watch design. And Kate Bergeron we've seen on keynotes quite often. Yes, that's what I was going to say. That name sounds very familiar. Yeah, she presents quite often. Bloomberg kind of presents this as like a continued a continued string of Apple departures and even suggests maybe there's more to come next year. These stories to me are like always hard to get a read on cuz it doesn't sound like this was a sudden departure in any way shape or form. It sounds say- like there was a succession plan already in the works and he's staying Tana staying on until February. Is it a big deal or not? Probably not. Is my read on it? Yeah. I mean, the problem is if you, if if all you do is read Bloomberg, you'd think Apple has no employees left. Cause like, yeah, exactly. every,
1: every month they're reporting on huge executives departing, quote unquote, huge executives departing. And that's been going on for like three years, which I think somewhat reflects the reality that a lot of the old guard, quote unquote, are yeah. either getting bored or are retiring, right? Like, choose, choose, choose your path. But, uh, and that, that applies to the VP level and it applies to the SVP level over time too. Um, people, you know, have been there for a long a long long time and loyalty can only last so long before people want to enjoy the rest of their lives right or they're just bored of making iPhone and iPad and Apple watches again every single year which is fair enough too like these these most of these people that you hear have, have, have been working at Apple for 15 20 years like even getting to that place is way beyond the average yeah. for like the tech industry you know most most tech industry most tech industry jobs change every like 5 years or less so you know apple still has incredibly high retention and um, employee loyalty but the the truth is the, the truth is a lot of the people that are, are the uh, in the, that were around in the heyday of the iphone era are now getting to the point of stepping back and leaving and will that have an impact on the future of the company <sighs> maybe but it's really hard to it's like a it's like a gradual cumulative effect rather than like here's one person changes the course of the company forever Uh, and when you hear like product design it's very easy to think of like the johnny ive design group but you know the product product design is kind of separate to the design group overall because like design is like industrial design and like thingy so it's kind of all these roles and responsibilities are a bit blurred but uh the like tan comes out of like the product marketing product engineering
0: side of right. product design more than like industrial design side because that confused me at first when bloomberg's story first hit i'd forgotten following because johnny i've left and then evans Hankey left and i'd kind of forgotten where we were in the state of like apple industrial design because in industrial design right now everybody there reports to oh well, what's his name jeff williams yeah but again like you said tang tan is on the other side of things so he's not on that team at all it's very confusing and not having that singular figurehead of johnny ive or evans hanky makes stories like this seem like a bigger deal
1: yeah i've said this before but it is wild to me they didn't name somebody as design svp and put them on the leadership page like yeah it's incredible it's incredible it- incredulous that, like, even if it is a completely meanless title, just choose somebody and slap them on the leadership page. Like, the fact that there isn't a design lead on the leadership
0: page by title is
1: incredible to me.
0: Like, if you go... Does it list it under Jeff Williams' responsibilities Yeah, at all? it says he leads, like, design blah 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 blah. So um, yeah, it's there, it's just under the chief operating officer which is what everybody loves to see when <laughs> it comes <to laughs> yeah, It just doesn't look good. Like, <laughs> yeah.
1: when, when Johnny I've Threatened to leave the first time back in 2015, they made up a different title for him to have, and they put two VPs on that page to like signify solidarity. They had Richard Howorth and hardware design and they oh, had yeah. Alan Dye for software design. They put both of them on that page because they were scared about the, you know, the outward facing impression. But when Johnny Ive left the second time around, they put nobody there. And they didn't even put Evans Hankey on there for the time she was at the company. Like it's completely bizarre. And Alan Dye is like, you know, he comes up in keynotes and he does presentations about software. Like, why is he not on the the leadership page under VPs? Like, even if you don't want to give him an SVP title, just put him on the page. They put loads of people on that page, but they won't put a design title on there. Absolutely. Let us,
0: not for, let us not forget that Phil Schiller also is basically gone, but is still an Apple fellow and is also still on the leadership page. Yeah. Again, they made up a spot for him. But, but yeah, the, the, Back to the story of like turnover, right? Event this this is I don't think there's
1: anything like, you know, scaremongering about this or whatever. Like Apple's a big company. They have lots of people. A lot of people that were there twenty years ago are now deciding if their time's up and they they want to move on. Some of them retire, some of them go make AI pins, you know, like people <laughs> people move on and that's how big companies roll and at some point you look at the you know the svp page looks way different than it did 10 years ago too but i don't think you can really say that apple as a company is doing particularly badly anymore and within the decade the ceo will be changing because i think you know tim cook spoke about this enough including with an interview with Dua Lipa, that his time is is getting to the end and he's probably going to see out you know the vision pro launch and he'll probably set a few other things but come you know it's it, the way that he's been talking, he's probably going to retire before the end of the decade, so there's always gonna be a big turnover. Uh, and the, but big companies have leadership and succession plans in place, and so far, I think Apple's navigated it pretty well, right? They uh,
0: but yeah, like a lot of people are departing, that is just a, a fact. I don't think we talked about it, but the Tim Cook interview with Dua Lipa actually was really good it was good (laughs) yeah it's better than most of the interviews he gives to like the big like network tv stations and stuff like she asked good questions and he actually like seemed engaged talking to her happy hour this week is also brought to you by
1: ladder if you're anything like me you have a certain tendency to put things off until the very last minute dentists, optician's appointments, filing taxes, that that kind of stuff. And look, it's usually fine, but you shouldn't mess around and wait when it comes to life insurance. Get term coverage life insurance through Ladder today. Go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour to see if you're instantly approved. I've started needing glasses recently, and that was kind of a moment that hit me like... I'm getting older and stuff like life insurance somehow feels immediately more relevant. Life insurance gives you the peace of mind to know that your family will be taken care of if the worst happens and Ladder is a great way to get it. Ladder is a 100% digital service when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. That means no doctors, no needles and no paperwork. It's all done online. You just need a phone or laptop to apply. You fill out Ladder's application form and their smart algorithms will work in real time and tell you instantly if you're approved. Ladder has no hidden fees and you can cancel at any time, and you can get a full refund if you cancel within the first 30 days. And Ladder's policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of paying claims. And Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot. So if you've been thinking about getting life insurance, Ladder is the place to do it. If you aren't sure but you just want some more information, go on Ladder's website, fill out their online calculator, and you can see the costs and terms of the plan with no commitment. And as the cost of life insurance goes up as you age, now is the time to act and get it done. So go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour today to see if you're instantly approved. That's ladderlif dot com happy hour. One more time, ladderlife.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Ladder for sponsoring the show.
0: Tesla says that the Apple podcast app is coming as part of its like holiday update this year. So Tesla rolls out holiday updates each year and I think it was last year or two years ago that they added Apple Music and now it's Apple Podcasts turn. I haven't actually gotten the holiday update yet on my Tesla and I don't know if anybody has. In typical Tesla fashion, they said it would start rolling out this week, but it's looking maybe more like next week or the week after. It sounds promising. It sounds a lot like the Apple Music app where you open it on the Tesla screen. And the first time you scan a QR code on your iPhone and sign into your Apple ID and that links the two together. And then the Apple podcast app on Tesla will be, I think pretty much completely full featured. So yeah. the library, the listen now tab browse to discover new things and syncing between your iPhone and your Tesla and your other devices. It sounds good in lieu of CarPlay. This sounds to step in the right direction for Tesla. Yeah and obviously your play state will sync across all your devices so you can start
1: listening to your Tesla and then when you get home or whatever you can carry on listening on on your Mac or your phone and the syncing has been like Apple podcast syncing was a bit rough I think a couple of years ago but at least for me it's way better these days and very reliable. So, yeah, if you have a Tesla, um, you're going to get a much better Apple podcast experience very soon. And I guess all of the uh, Elon Musk bluster hasn't stopped Apple from partnering with, <laughs> yeah. with them on, on this, at least. Can you, here's a, here's a, here's a pop quiz. Do you know okay. where else the Apple, podcast has been, the Apple podcast app has been
0: that isn't an Apple device? Oh, man. It's on Amazon Echo, like, speakers, yep. isn't it? Yeah. That's one. Oh, there's more than one. There's I'm one other. Yeah, the Amazon Alexa speakers. Yeah. Um, b- 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 it's a vehicle like, brand. So Tesla is not the first. Oh, really? I have yeah. no idea then. Is it like Mercedes or BMW or something? Oh, it's even better. Porsche. Oh, of course. How, Some yeah. super
1: expensive Porsche cars <laughs> had the Apple Podcast app. And they had um, they have Apple Music with uh, spatial audio. Spatial audio, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is something that Tesla could support, right? Because it has speakers all around the car, but the Apple Music app doesn't yet do it. Uh, but yeah, so if you didn't have a Porsche, which are insanely expensive, but you do have a slightly less expensive <laughs> but still expensive Tesla, now you
0: can get the Apple Podcast app on there. I will say the Apple Music app on Tesla is really good, like borderline better than the Music app is via CarPlay. Ooh. So I'm optimistic about this. I don't know. Well, Whenever I get the update, maybe we can talk about it more. But Speaking of CarPlay, it's December 14th as we record this. Go to Apple's website for CarPlay, and they still say that the first vehicle announcements for next-generation CarPlay coming late 2023. So that gives them exactly two weeks to make good on that promise. Two and a half weeks, roughly. Do you think they're going to gonna actually make good on this promise? I don't... It's not looking good. It seems unlikely. I mean, the big
1: time to do this was like earlier in December slash November when they had the... the LA car show, whatever, that's like yeah. when people do their announcements for the next, the, the you know, the, the the auto manufacturers do their announcements for the 2024, 2025 cars. And next-gen car play was not on the agenda at all. So who knows what's going to happen here. And as a, as a double reminder, you know, late 2023 vehicle announcements. Yeah. Shipping, who knows
0: when? It could be 2025, right? Like the, the car industry moves slowly. I can't tell who... If the delay is on Apple's part, if the delay is on the car maker's part, because me and our our boss Seth Weintraub, we've asked a lot of car makers like, hey, any plans for next gen CarPlay? Like, what's the status of that? And car automaker PR is a lot different than tech PR usually, where they're more open to like talking to you about things and maybe dropping a hint here or there. You ask somebody about next gen CarPlay, they will shut up real quick. <laughs> they they don't even want to drop a hint at anything. So that leads me to believe that maybe like Apple's the one who's not ready to make an announcement, but, and we still don't even know, like next gen CarPlay, is it going to come to older cars? Or is it is only going to come to 2024, 2025 cars. Like we know basically nothing about when, or even if you'll actually be able to use this next generation of CarPlay. Yeah. And I mean,
1: technically to be fair to Apple, they said late 2023 from the beginning, so they're not delayed yet, but... Yeah. Seems unlikely there's going to be anything <laughs> um, substantive in a fortnight when the entire of Apple goes on holiday in about two days' time.
0: I hope so. I'm really excited for next-gen CarPlay. And I have a car, the Mustang Mach-E, that has the perfect like display setup to support it. And you know who won't be getting next-generation CarPlay, though? Your friend's General Motors. Oh, right? the classic storyline. The General oh, Motors storyline continued this week it was their head of product infotainment did an interview with motor trend where he basically presented the idea or the thesis of this decision as being that gm strategy is that drivers won't look at their phones as much as they do now if their car doesn't have car play what do you think of that logic as the resident gm defender mayo do you Does that logic uh, least, check I mean- out to you As the resident
1: GM defender, I don't have much to... I don't have a leg to stand on on this particular (laughs) one. I think they put their foot in it this time. Yeah, okay, good. Good.
0: (laughs) I was hoping. Oh, Oh.
1: My overarching GM point is that I do think there is some strategic sense to companies not wanting to use commoditized Android or Apple CarPlay situations and go on their own way, Uh, but... I don't think GM have demonstrated particular confidence in that approach <laughs> uh, in everything they've done since I made that original uh, proclamation.
0: The GM system will is being built on Android Automotives, which is like not Android Auto, not CarPlay. It's Google's core operating system platform that companies like GM can build their own systems. And the first Chevy Blazer EV reviews came out this week and kind of gave a first look At that system, first of all, it has apps like Spotify and Audible and Google Maps. But if you want, again, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, iMessage, any of that stuff, you won't find it. The interface looks like every other generic in-car infotainment system. It looks laggy. It looks ugly. It's slow. There's a screen because the Chevy Blazer is an EV, right? There's a screen where you can view charging stations. And it has images of the charging station to like see if you want to back in or pull through. But you have you see one image at a time and you swipe, then it takes about 10-15 seconds, swipe again. If you just looked at that stuff in like the plug share or the charge point app on your iPhone via CarPlay, it'd be instant. So between these first Chevy Blazer EV reviews and this new interview with Motor Trend. GM's just digging their heels in, and their solution, at least as, we, as far as we've seen this week, is not, it's not very good. And finally this week, Apple Music is apparently going to offer incentives to artists and labels to adopt spatial audio mastering. So the, this came from Bloomberg, and it's a little bit weird because it doesn't explicitly say what those incentives will be. But the implication will be that you'll get a higher royalty rate if customers listen to a song that's also available in spatial audio. So the report specifically says the customer won't have to listen to the Dolby Atmos mix for the artist to get that higher royalty. Dolby Atmos has to be available as an option for that song to get the higher royalty. Yeah, this, this, this seems to sense. Yeah.
1: I think. Like, I guess it's Apple putting their money where their mouth is, because they keep talking about spatial audio as like a huge technology and they keep using it in marketing and to be fair it does offer them a lot of differentiation from like spotify who still don't offer at most support on tracks and if they ever do that seems like it's going to be on the higher tier like extra premium that you have to pay for tier yeah um a lot of apple marketing for apple music classical also talks about spatial audio a lot because they want people to like listen Uh, uh quite a common case that um people do is they like listen in like their home theater system with like 5.1 surround sound systems. And obviously, um, you know, Dolby Atmos Tracks can work on that pretty well too. And it does also, you know, space, more spatial audio content benefits Apple's hardware sales too. Like, you know, AirPods Pro 2, a big sales point for them and the spatial audio features. Uh, future stuff like Vision Pro, if you, it's more immersive if it can be all around your head, right? Rather than just stereo audio. So uh, I can see why they're doing this. It seems like a... Um, a pretty big thing although i think adoption of spatial audio in general has been not too bad if you look at the apple music catalog quite a lot of it is is there already Um, so there was some argument they wouldn't even need to do like you know money incentives but i guess they're really pushing for it and they want like a lot almost all of their catalog to be in spatial audio eventually so by giving artists higher royalty payments that that you know money money talks so however well they've done so far in evangelizing it Now it's going to be like double uh, when when this
0: rolls out next year. And part of what I I think they want too is for artists and labels to go back and remix older songs that aren't right now available in Dolby Atmos and update those to also have Dolby Atmos mixes. Because most new music that's coming out via Apple Music is launching with a Dolby Atmos mix. But if you go back far enough in an artist catalog, you'll get to like the cutoff point right now where they stopped before they started mixing in Atmos. All right, I think that does it for this week. You can find us on Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a rating and a review and find an ad-free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. You can send us feedback, happy hour at 9to5mac.com. I'm on Twitter, Mastodon, Threads, at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, what about you?
1: Yeah, Twitter, Threads,
0: Mastodon, at mayo. And hello to everybody coming to Threads from the EU this week. Yes, hello EU people. Threads is popping off this morning, so come find us there. All right, thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.